Merry Christmas. We are now week three in our Advent series, and I've told you every week, Advent really is a celebration of three things. It's a celebration of those, those people for hundreds, even thousands of years, declared with their hearts and lives that Jesus is coming. And aren't you thankful that he did? Aren't you thankful that heaven did indeed come down and enter this earth as a baby in a manger. So Jesus is coming. The second thing that Advent is, is our celebration and, and the, the celebration of the entire world that Jesus is here. How many, are you glad that he didn't just show up, he stuck around, <clears throat> right? And, and he lives in our hearts and he lives in our lives and he lives through his people on this planet. Jesus is coming. Jesus is here. And oh, thank God, Jesus is coming again. And there will be a moment when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there'll be no more sorrow or death. For the former things are all, as the scripture says, passed away. So over these last couple of weeks, we have uh, talked about hope. I gave you a definition for hope that it was a confident expectation that God will be faithful to his word, that he'll work out all things for his glory and your good and my good, that it's a firm foundation for our lives and a promise for an eternal destiny. That's what hope is. Last week we talked about, can I tell you a funny story? Last week I talked to you about the absolute unconditional right here love of Christ. And aren't you glad that it does all of those things? So I leave here. My wife is home, and I'm going to get something to eat and to, some medicine for her. So I go to Kroger, and I'm waiting for this wonderful parking space. And a woman in a Lexus swipes my parking space right after I started preaching, finished preaching about the love of Christ. <laughs> and I, was, I did love her loudly. No. But isn't that how it works, right? So hope. And then love. And guess what happens when hope and love get together? We have joy. Joy. In fact, I want you to see what joy looks like. Can I show you what joy looks like? Debony? Angie? Debony? On your feet. You got to finish this down in my heart to stay, stay. right? Right. See, here's something I need you to understand. Don't ever dare, Pastor Dwayne. It will end poorly for you. Joy, joy, joy down in my heart to stay, to stay. Joy came down. It came down to stay. Donna's already read it, but I'm going to read it again. Luke chapter 10. But, this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I want you to raise your hand if in this year something really nice happened to you. At any point during the year, something really nice. Raise your hand. Oh, look, almost every hand in, in the room. Okay, also raise your hand if something difficult, something challenging, raise your hand, happened. Something, hmm. Is it interesting that almost all of you raised your hand for both 
instances. See, I've lived in this world long enough to realize that stuff happens. Good stuff, bad stuff, stuff nonetheless. My question is, what happens if we attach our happiness, our joy, to that wave of stuff that is constantly flowing into and out of our lives? Guess what? We will lose our minds. So I'm going to submit that our world, our culture, our homes are in desperate need for joy. How, how can you say that, Dwayne? Look around you. Turn on the news. Open your Facebook. So I want to talk to you about what real joy is tonight. Tonight. Where did that come from? <clears throat> Today. What real joy looks like. Because, you know, maybe you think that word joy means something that it doesn't mean. I'm not sure that word things means what you think it means. Here's three things. Three things that I believe really joy is. Number one, that real joy is. Number one, it's an expression. An expression of the work that Christ has done in your life. It's not a locker room celebration. It's not. Now, those are great. I love, you know, it's not a, you know, uh, it, it's not that just impulsive giddiness when good things happen. Um, some of you recognize the name John Maxwell. John Maxwell was a pastor forever. He is probably known as the greatest leadership expert in the world. Has written so many books about leadership, but is a passionate evangelist and loves Jesus with all of his heart. And he tells a story that in, whenever he has a conversation where someone might be... Uh, struggling and has yet to cross the line of faith he always says this phrase i wish you had my joy because he understands that joy is not attached to a locker room celebration or i got a new job or uh, you know i got a raise all those things are great but that's not what we attach our joy to you know what that is that stuff joy is an expression of the work that Christ has done in your life. The second thing is, is that joy is transformational. Joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It will change your life. It'll change your life. It'll make you be silly in church on Sunday morning when Pastor Dwayne calls you out. It's an expression of the work that Christ has done in your life. It's transformational. And oh, oh here, please get this. It's eternal. It doesn't rise and fall with the condition of your circumstances. It is internal. It changes lives. It changes cultures. It changes families. It changes communities. Have you noticed that joy-filled people don't hate each other? <clears throat> but here's, here's what we'll say. I'd have joy if I had more money. If I had a better job. I'd have more joy if I had a better marriage. I'd have more joy if I could wait. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You'd be happier for a minute. See, I, I believe that this kind of joy is that joy that happens in the human heart when the person of Christ redeems that heart and rescues humanity. See if we can put that into perspective. 
one of my favorite movies is a movie called Captain Phillips. Have you seen Captain Phillips? Raise your hand if you've seen Captain Phillips. Listen, if you have not seen Captain Phillips, go home, Netflix it, Hulu it. I don't know where it's at, but watch Captain Phillips. It's an, it, based on a true story, it's Captain, uh, I looked up, Richard Phillips. He was uh, the captain of this freighter and was going around the coast of Somalia. And for the first time in 200 years, pirates boarded a U.S. vessel took him captive and demanded $2 million ransom for Captain Phillips' life. Somehow, and you, I'm not going to quote the whole movie, even though I could. I've seen it like 10 times. You, they wind up on the, um, the rescue vessel, the, uh, the life raft, if you will, from the, it's Captain Phillips and three pirates in this raft. And so the military is negotiating with the pirates, and the negotiations, ne negotiations are falling apart. And so they decide to step it up a level and call in SEAL Team 6. Listen, if you're running and SEAL Team 6 is chasing you, you best give up. <laughs> and, and so to make a long story short, they... They get SEAL Team 6 within firing range of this vessel, and on the count of three, they shot and killed all three of those Somali pirates in one fell swoop, and Captain Phillips is going, what just happened? <laughs> so he's rescued. It's a great story of rescue, and it's just, it's a, it's just a powerful, powerful story. You ought to watch it. So, but, but here's my question. If you're Captain Phillips, how does that not, how is there ever a moment when that doesn't come up in conversation? When somebody says, well, I had a flat tire today. Well, at least you're not on a pirate ship. How does that ever not change the weight of everything else that happens to you for the rest of your life? You might, you know... I, I didn't get the promotion. Yeah, but guess what? You're not on a ship with a bunch of pirates. It changes everything from that day forward, doesn't it? It changes the weight of everything. And, and isn't that an incredible story of rescue? Well, if you've been redeemed by Christ, you have a greater story of rescue. How does it not come up? How does it not change the way we think? How does it not change the weight of the stuff that comes into our life? It ought to, shouldn't it? It really should. Here's your working definition of joy. Somebody said joy wasn't a feeling, and I disagree. I think it's more than a feeling, but I think it is a feeling. Write this down. Joy is a feeling of confidence that God has a plan. The assurance that he is working ultimately all things out for his glory and my good. And the gladness, get this, that comes from knowing it is well with my soul. Can I tell you, it, does the stuff of life that comes in and out of our lives... Does it take on less weight when we know this truth? It is well with my soul. It, sh it should. So over the next few moments, I'm going to give you a couple things that, 
that joy is. And then I'm going to try to to give you a couple of ways that we can live joy-filled lives. Anybody want that kind of life? Me too. Number one, the joy of Christmas, the joy that came down from heaven, is founded in truth, not in circumstances. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, rejoice. Whatever happens, rejoice. Whatever? Whatever? Whatever happens, rejoice. So even when the bad stuff, rejoice in the Lord. It's founded in truth, not circumstances. And here's the truth. God sent his son, and you are redeemed. Circumstances cannot change that. Your worst day can't change that. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord who is always good. Who is working out all things for my eternal good and for his glory. Rejoice in the Lord who is always right. Have you ever argued with God? If you've argued with God, raise your hand. Who won? Exactly. He's always good, he's always right, and he's always aware. He knows where you're at. And he knows what you're going through. And if I genuinely believe that God's goodness and is, is surrounding me because I've surrendered my life to Christ and that nothing can come into my life that doesn't pass through his hands, and I do believe that, by the way, then whatever happens, I can rejoice. Well, even, even when my kids are struggling, yes. Even when the finances aren't where they need to be. Yes. Yes. Why? How? 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 Because here, here's your second fill-in. The joy of Christmas, the, the joy that came down is birthed in an encounter with Christ. <clears throat> Let, let's read that again. We've read it twice, third time's a charm. Luke 2 and 10, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will, I love this phrase, cause great joy for all the people. There's something that I'm going to tell you about that will cause, a better word might be create great joy for anybody that wants it. See, that, that catalyst for great joy isn't some military victory, some political win some financial windfall that catalyst for great joy was the arrival of the Son of God into humanity. Great joy for all the people. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 1, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because you're just good people. I pray with joy because, you know, you got your act together. No. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. So what I'm going to say in many circles in our world would be considered closed-minded, 
and short-sighted. But I'm going to tell you that I believe this with all the conviction I can muster. That without the person of Jesus Christ in your life and in mine, there is no joy. Can you be happy? Maybe. Can you have moments where things just seem to be lining up well? Of course you can. Can you have something that's transformational and eternal without Jesus? The answer is no. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Though you have not yet seen him, you love him. And even though you, don't, uh, you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an, I, I love this phrase, an inexpressive and glorious joy. King James says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. You're receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. What brings genuine, transformative, eternal joy into the life of a human being is not any of the peripherals. It is only when Jesus rescues your soul. And that one act of rescue ought to filter every other part of our lives. Well, I can't have joy because of my job. I can't have joy because of my money. I can't have joy because of my relationships. I can't have joy because of what's going on around me. Then can I just, don't, don't be offended what I'm getting ready to say. Then you haven't found Jesus. Or you certainly haven't placed him in the, in the, in, in the position in your heart and soul and life that he deserves. Write this down. The joy of Christmas, the joy that came down from heaven can't be extinguished, listen, by trials, tests, or temptations. See, I, I think that, that we have misinterpreted that word joy to, it, it looks more like the locker room celebration. I'll, I'll never forget, I, you know, I'm, I, I've told you many times, I'm growing less enamored with social media uh, by the day. Um, but there's one part of it that I really like. It's the memories. So I had a memory pop up of when Matt Leip and his football team won the state championship. And I saw my son run off the field jumping with this expression of joy on his face that was unimaginable. It was a cool, cool moment. And it's a great memory. But can I tell you, um, and, and you, you can ask him for yourself after church, um, it, it's a great memory, but it, it's not paying his bills. It's a great memory, but it's... it's it's not what he's established his life on. You know, we have those moments of just incredible happiness. And, and listen, I'm thankful for those. And those are great memories. And that sometimes that just gets you through the week, doesn't it? Can't build your life on it. <laughs> See, you got to have something that's foundational when the tests and trials and temptations come. And what we've forgotten, or maybe we don't realize to begin with, is that um, difficult circumstances and God's plan and joy can all coexist. 
You could be right in the middle of God's plan for your life, going through a difficult time and experience the joy of the Lord because you know He has a plan. You know He's in control. You know He's always right. He's always good. And He's aware of where you're at. If you have an understanding of the truth of who Christ is, should be as ruler and king of your heart, then when the difficult circumstances, that doesn't mean, that doesn't make them less difficult. It does help us put things in perspective. I'm going to read another passage from Philippians chapter 1. And, and oh, by the way, some of you know this, but I just want to make sure you understand. Do you know where Paul was when he wrote the book of Philippians? He, he was not in, in a hotel room on his laptop. He was in a Roman prison, likely chained to a Roman guard who had not bathed. That's an assumption on my part. But I want you to know he was not having a banner day. He's in prison chained to a Roman guard. And here's what he says. He says, oh, somebody please get me out of here. Oh, no, that's not what he said. He didn't say, they were mean to me. That's not what he said. You know what he said? I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, listen to this, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Yes, I'm, I'm not in a great place, but God's doing a work. Are we willing to walk through a difficult trial, a difficult test, even endure temptation, if God can use it for His glory? Oh, see, we'll pray prayers like that. Oh, Lord, what, whatever it takes, Lord, I just want you to be glorified in my life. Really? Really? Is that really? You, is, as long as I can do it in a Lexus and in a nice zip code. Come on, y'all. Well, do I, not, I, just don't, I just don't feel joyful. Can I? Maybe, maybe you just need to change your attitude. What, what kind of attitude are we supposed to have? In that same book, Paul said, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Well, that's easy. Right? But, you know, if we're going to have the same attitude that Christ had, guess what we got to know? We got to know what kind of attitude Christ had. What kind of attitude did Christ have? See, Jesus was more concerned with people than he was his privilege and his position. And oh, by the way, I don't care how far up the corporate ladder you've climbed, you don't have his position. What did, what did Jesus do with his position? And what did Jesus do with his privilege? Here's what Jesus did. We'll just bump down one verse. Have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. What kind of attitude did he have? Though he was God, 
He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Let me tell you what that literally means. That literally means, the the Greek word there for gave up means he emptied himself of his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So is God calling us in order to live in joy to have an attitude where we place people above our own privilege? The answer is yes. And, and, and I can prove it to you. Has there ever been a, a, a moment when, when maybe God twisted your arm a little bit to give something that was hard to give? Maybe it was, a, maybe it was a, uh, you know, an amount of money. Maybe it was buying somebody lunch. I don't know. But God twisted your arm a little bit to 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 give something that, was, that cost you a little bit. And you argued a little bit, didn't you? Push, well, God, I don't know. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. God had, me, God had me give somebody some money this past two weeks ago that I didn't want to give them. I didn't, I didn't want to give them, the guy any money. I'll be honest with you. I didn't want it. Was a, it was a delivery guy, and he and I had an argument in my living room. I'm, I, listen, y'all come up to me after it is over, and I'll tell you the whole story. It's hilarious. But I'm having an argument that, a, that an adult should never have to have. I'm having an argument, and, and I'm like, I just cannot wait for this guy to get out of my house. I was just, I had a bad attitude. And, and God was like, why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you give him something? Really? I don't want to. And, and God talks to me mean sometimes. He loves me. But he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't remember asking your opinion, son. Okay, and I did. And, and can I tell you, when it was all over with, the, the argument that we had was gone. It was, it was like, you, I just felt good about it. Is, is that the case? When you give something that maybe you don't want to give or you don't feel like you can give, you do it, and, and you're, after it's all over with, you're like, man, that felt good. That's how it's supposed to feel. You don't have room for this, but you ought to write it down. Happiness happens, but joy is a choice. Um, you think, I'll get... I, I'll be happy if I get married. I'll be happy when I have kids. <laughs> yes, you will. Kids are wonderful. Kids are wonderful. They are wonderful. They are wonderful. Be happy if somebody buys you lunch. Be happy if my wife give me a kiss. Come on. Stuff happens. Joy is a choice. That same guy I told you about earlier, John Maxwell, says this, and I 10,000% agree with it. He said, life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. So how would your life be different if there was genuine, eternal, transformative joy in your life? How would your life be different? How would your marriage be different if there was genuine, transformative, eternal joy in your life. 
I'm going to give you five things in the time we have left of how to live joyfully in a joy-deprived world because our world, this kind of joy is foreign in our world. All right, so joy in our world is about what you own, what you achieve, uh, what, what you gather. Joy is about, you know, how many Instagram followers I've got. Come on. That's all fleeting. How do we have joy in a joy-deprived world? I'm going to give you five things here. Number one, start with soul health. Is it well with your soul? And there's some things that you have to ask yourself to answer that question. See, you know, it's easy to go, yeah, I'm in church today, so my soul's okay. I think it's a little deeper than that. You could ask questions like, is there an area of my life that's not surrendered to God? or habit, an addiction, an attitude that's not surrendered to God. If there is, it may be stealing joy. Are you living in disobedience? Is there unrepented sin in my life? Listen, God loves you enough to make you miserable if you carry around unrepented sin. Aren't you glad he does? Am I following Christ? Is he leading the path? Or am I doing my own thing hoping he tags along? You could ask yourself questions like this. Is my lifestyle contributing to my lack of joy? Have you overextended your schedule? Let's just take a poll. How many of you have ever gotten yourself too busy and it stole your joy? Yeah. Um. Can I just, there, there was a lot more hands went up there than I was expecting. So I'm, can we, I'm, just let me tell you something Dwayne's learned. You can control your schedule or somebody else will control it for you. So um, it, your life will work a lot better if you learn to control your schedule. If you learn what to say yes to and what to say no to. Um, you know, I. When I first got in ministry, I thought I had to say yes to everything and everybody. And I'm like, let, let me tell you what that will do. That will kill you. And it will make your wife not happy with you. I'm just telling you. It, so have I overextended my schedule? Y'all, that's a bigger deal than I got time to spend here. Be intentional about your schedule. All right. Have you overextended your finances? Anybody ever gotten in debt and it, ro- and, and it kept you awake at night and it just felt like it stole your, stole your joy? Guess what? You got control over that too. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So number one, start with soul health. Make sure that I, it is well with my soul. Number two, examine your paradigm. Let me, let me give you a, a, a definition for that word. Your paradigm is the lens through which you see the world. And as followers of Christ, what we should have is a biblical worldview. We ought to look at the world or try to look at the world the way God sees the world. We ought to be able to look at other people. And, and can I tell you, this is harder than, we, than, it, than it seems when I'm just standing up here on a, on a stage. When you look at other people, like people that steal your parking space. Come on, y'all. When people that, when people that are hard, when you look at them, listen. When you look at them through God's eyes instead of yours. How does God feel about that human being? Well, he, he loved them so much that he gave his only son. Maybe it, 
Maybe it becomes this, that we, we flip the camera around. We, we did a whole series on Wednesday nights, and you should come on Wednesday nights, by the way, about how we're so... Uh, and I, I wish I would have looked up the statistics because I, I saw these statistics that talked about how many photographs are taken with cell phones, and I bet everybody in this room's got one that has a camera with a with with a forward-facing camera. How many of the cam- how many of the photographs that are taken with cell phones are with this part of the camera? That was so awkward, wasn't it? And now Siri's talking to me. Shut up, Siri. How many, how many pictures are taken because, oh, there's one right there. Isn't that cute? Isn't that cool? Um, how many pictures, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but what would happen if we just flipped the camera and look at the world instead of just staring back at ourselves? Look at others. Hmm. <laughs> there are people in this world Begging for the life that you complain about. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm, if you've been on my house for small groups or a meal or whatever, you've probably heard me complain about my refrigerator. Because my refrigerator, the one we had, was the most money we'd ever spent on a refrigerator, and it was a piece of junk. <laughs> it was awful. It, was, it would, I'd have to, I'd have to, defrost it literally every four weeks and it was such a pain and it was awful well we had some tax money left over so i bought a brand new refrigerator and it was a glory i know that's silly and maybe that's my age where i'm so excited that i don't have to defrost my refrigerator anymore (laughs) but i gotta tell you i told you the lord talks to me funny ways as as we and by we those delivery guys were carrying my old refrigerator down the steps and rolling in my garage i i had this thought y'all there are people across the world that would do anything for that stinking refrigerator. See, we gotta, we got to remember, y'all, that we complain about stuff that other people would love to have. So we gotta change that, we got to change that perspective. Is that right? we got to change that worldview. How would our relationships, how would our community, how would our church be different if we just learned to do what Jesus did? And that's your third fill-in, is to learn to value what Jesus valued. Jesus always valued people. And can I tell you, a life where you only concentrate on you, that is not a life filled with joy. You you want more joy in your life? Start giving yourself away. And watch what happens to your attitude. Watch what happens to, to just the joy meter in your soul when you start helping other people and loving other people, sharing your faith with other people. Guess what happens? That joy meter will start pegging, man. Just works that way. And, and this, may, this may sound weird way to remember this, and, and I don't remember how old I was when God showed me this, but... For this to work right, the, the, the way it works is when we rearrange our alphabet. Because I believe what God wants us to do is to put you before I. Rearrange our alphabet. Put you before I. Learn to value what Jesus values. Is this helping? 
the fourth thing is I want you to watch out for joy thieves. Because <clears throat> they're out there, and sometimes they have names. Can I show you the easy way to identify a joy thief? <laughs> you're... Sometimes your phone rings, and a name pops up, right? Your reaction will tell you whether or not that person is a joy thief. If you go, oh, it's my wife. Mm-hmm. Hey, baby. If you go, oh. that person's probably joy thief. Yeah, yeah. Send a voice. That ain't funny, man. That, that ain't. You. You are a joy thief. <laughs> Listen, somebody watching online and sent me a text message, told me I'm cute. <laughs> See, I'm trying to have a... Hey, but I'm right, aren't I? That's how... And, and, and listen, I'm, I, I'm not telling you to abandon people. I'm not telling you that at all. But if you've got a relationship with someone... Are we called to be salt and light? If, if that person is, is making your salt less salty and your light a little dim, you know, you've you got to be careful with that. If, you know, I, I, I've had people in my life... I've got to be careful how I say this. Listen, I, I think you need to spread the love of Christ with everybody you come in contact with. You can't let everybody influence you. If you are um, in, in a position of influence, then, man, I'm, I'm like, you, you need to. But if you've got somebody that's, that's dragging you down, that's, that's stopping you from becoming who God has in your life, they're a joy thief. And you either need to fix that relationship or, or, or maybe part ways. Listen, um, and, and oh, by the way, if we're talking about this, this might be your joy thief. This might be your joy thief. You might be spending way too much time on whatever. I've got this deal on my phone set up, and I'm going to thank my youngest son, Matt, because he gave me the idea. You can set up, like, little timers where, like, it'll shut stuff off if you spent too much time on it. Like, if you, if, how much time is too much time to spend on Facebook in a day? I'm going to say about eight minutes. <laughs> you set those timers, and it'll shut it down. Um, I'm on my phone as much as anybody in this room. If, if this becomes where I find my joy, if this becomes a, what, how, I, how I find affirmation and love, listen, I, you know where I find, I find affirmation and love from you people and from my family. Don't let that steal your joy. Lastly, and, and y'all, this is the most important thing I'm going to say of this whole message, is you've got to make Christ central. If there's an area, please, please hear this part right now. I used to hate it when preachers would say, if you hadn't heard anything I said, listen to this. If you hadn't heard anything I said, <laughs> identify that area of your life where joy is lacking. And put Jesus in the middle of it. And watch what happens. 
If your marriage has no joy, put Jesus in the center. If your finances are robbing you of joy, do them His way. If, if your mental health is robbing you of joy, delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Put Jesus in the center. Come on up here, Donna. If your joy has been fleeting, if your joy has been fleeting, listen, what, what, if, what if this was the year you just decided, all right, I'm putting Jesus in the middle of it all. And that was a song yesterday. <laughs> Pretty appropriate, actually. What if I put Jesus in the center of my life, in, in, the, in the center of every part of my life? See, that's my challenge for you today. If you're in this room and you say, Dwayne, joy is hard to find. I, I don't want to offer you just some spiritual religious platitude and, and make it sound easy because it's a daily pursuit, by the way. That means I got to get up in the morning and I got to put Jesus in the center of my schedule. I got to put Jesus in the center of my money tomorrow. I got to put Jesus in the center of my relationships tomorrow. I got to put Jesus in the center of my job tomorrow. And then Tuesday, guess what I got to do? I got to put Jesus in the center of my relationships. And I got to put Jesus in the center of my job and of my money and of my schedule. And I do that every day. Here's what I will promise you you'll find joy. It might not be a locker room celebration, but here's what it'll be. It'll be eternal, and it'll be real, and it'll be authentic, and it'll be transformative. If you put Jesus in the center of every part of your life. Every part of your life. Will you bow your heads? Here's what, I'm just going to ask a very simple question. And I, and I only ask this question so I know who to pray for this morning. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Dwayne, I've uh, just seems like sometimes my joy is fleeting. I know that I'm saved and I know that God loves me. But just the stuff of life has robbed me of my joy. I would like to pray for you this morning. So if you just slip your hand in the air, I know who to pray for. Amen. 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 There's a story in the Bible in, in, the, in the Old Testament about King David. And he was, he was complaining. And he prayed this prayer to the Lord. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And so if, if that's you today and you say, Dwayne, stuff of life has robbed me of some joy. I just want to point you back to this truth that God sent His Son for you. Your life is redeemed. Your sins are forgiven. God has a plan for your life. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a future and a hope. 
God's plan for you is joy. Not a fleeting, giddy celebration, but something that's eternal and foundational that you can build your life on. So I'm going to pray a couple ways for you that, that, that might have raised your hands. I'm going to pray that God helps you identify the things in your life that have been robbing you of joy. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's, it, 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 it's unrepented sin. I don't know. But here's what I believe. I believe with all my heart that God will restore to you the joy of your salvation. So I'm going to pray for him to help you identify those joy thieves. Then I'm going to pray that God would help you put him in the center of every part of your life, especially those areas that have robbed you of the joy of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name. Before we ask anything of you, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Before we ask anything of you, we thank you, God, for the only begotten Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. We are awed that you would step out of heaven, empty yourself, Jesus, of your privilege, of your position. Take on the form of a servant and that you did that for me. And now, God, I pray for all of us, not, not just the ones that raised our hands, because I think in many ways all of us could have said there are joy thieves in my life. God, help us identify those things that are robbing us of joy. God, if they're attitudes and actions, God, reveal them to us. Bring us to a place of repentance. God, if it's a relationship, God, I pray you read it and you heal it so it can be a positive life-giving relationship God if it's money God I pray that you would teach us to put Jesus in the center of our finances and do things his way watch you work and bring joy we love you Jesus God, I sense your presence in this room. And I feel like you're restoring joy in the hearts of your people today. Thank you, Jesus. God, I'm always awed how you can do more in just a with just a breath, with just, with just a moment in your presence. God, I pray that this Christmas season would be different for someone because we have placed you in the center of our life. And today, you begin the process of restoring joy.
We love you, Jesus. God, I sense your presence in this room. God, I pray for those that are watching online that are struggling with joy. And God, they feel like the circumstances of their lives, oh God, uh, have robbed them. So God, I pray that you would, even across the internet, God, that your presence would just surround someone's heart today and remind them that you're enough and more than enough. When we place you in the center of our life, God, do a precious word in someone's heart. God, I, I believe someone's watching online today. God, that you're doing a great work in their heart and you're restoring joy. But God, that somebody has given up on joy and just has resigned to the fact, well, this is just how my life's going to be. Well, God, we just declare that to be a lie of the enemy today. And you're going to do a work that only you can do in hearts and lives in this moment, in Jesus' name. We love you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for joy. Thank you that heaven came down this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Come on, give the Lord praise. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. We just pray that God blesses you this Christmas. Don't forget Christmas Eve next Sunday. It's going to be an awesome day. God bless you. Have a great week.